Um, Revelation chapter 17. One of the seven angels who had poured out the seven bowls came over and spoke to me. Come with me, he said, and I will show you the judgment that is going to come on the great prostitute who rules over many waters. The kings of the world have committed adultery with her, and the people who belong to this world have been made drunk by the wine of her immorality. So the angel took me in the spirit of the in the spirit into the wilderness. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that had seven heads and ten horns, and blasphemies against God were written all over it. The woman wore purple and scarlet clothing and beautiful jewelry made of gold and precious gems and pearls. In her hand, she held a gold goblet full of obscenities and the impurities of her immorality. A mysterious name was written on her forehead. Babylon the Great, mother of all prostitutes and obscenities in the world. I could see that she was drunk. Drunk with the blood of God's holy people who were witnesses for Jesus. I stared at her in complete amazement. Why are you so amazed, the angel asked. I will tell you the mystery of this woman and of the beast with the seven heads and the ten horns on which she sits. The beast you saw was once alive, but isn't now. And he will soon come out of the bottomless pit and go to eternal destruction. And the people who belong to this world, whose names were not written in the book of life before the world was made, will be amazed at the reappearance of this beast who had died. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity to read your word. Thank you for the opportunity to preach your word. Uh, as we study your word today, please speak to us. Uh, may we uh, receive the message that you have prepared for us. Uh, but may you also receive the honor and the attention you deserve in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. So I know some of you um, have read ahead uh, just because of what you've told me. Um, others, uh, you might still be behind and it's completely okay. Just catch up at some point. Um, go ahead and like read through the whole book. Catch up on the sermons if you missed a week or two. Uh, they're all online for you on our website as well. But if you're lost trying to figure out the meaning of Revelation, you're not alone. Scholars and other pastors and everything, we've been trying to figure this out for a while. Um, but all the symbols with Babylon and with this, there's a lot of graphic images in these last several chapters. And though I don't want to say prostitute as much as I have to, because it is in the Word, um, it's there, and we have to deal with it. Now, other translations use a little bit more harsh language. Um, I think prostitute is kind of nice compared to the other, op op other options that we've got with the other translations. But it still kind of makes you cringe, and it's because this image, just like in all of the book of Revelation and, and in apocalyptic literature, the images are meant to teach, but they're also to provoke something in you. Right, So if you heard me as a pastor say prostitute and you kind of cringed a little bit inside, that's what it's supposed to do for you. It's supposed to make you want to look away because you don't want to be sucked in into what she offers. You want to turn away and you want to turn towards Christ. And this is what it's trying to do. It's trying to provoke something in you 
to where you want to turn away. And as we've talked about over and over throughout this series, is that there is this spiritual war going on. Everything that we see that's physical, all the physical wars, all the, the broken relationship and the brokenness in this world is all on the backside, something that we can't see, and it's a spiritual war between heaven and hell. And the thing is that we are a part of it. There, there is no neutral ground. We're on one side or we're on the other. You know, when you, when you look back at the world wars, there's, there's some neutral ground there. There are people that just kind of sat back and they're like, I don't want anything to do with it. I'm not picking a side. I'm just going to stay here and I'm not going to pick a side. Right? This isn't how it is in spiritual warfare. If you try to sit back and watch and say, I'm not going to pick a side, you've picked a side and it's not the heavenly one. And so you're on one side or the other. And something that you'll see this week and next week when we wrap up our Revelation series, you're either a citizen of Babylon or you're a citizen of New Jerusalem. And so these next two weeks, us, you, and us as a church need to be mindful of where we are and where we've built our home. We don't want to build our home in Babylon. And you'll see why in, in the next few moments. We want to build our home in New Jerusalem. But it's more difficult to build in New Jerusalem. So these images, still pretty graphic. Um, I normally never would say prostitute as many times as I'm about to. So there's just going to be a lot of awkward moments and I'm going to have to deal with it. I mean, I, I'm just trying to stay true to his word. But this prostitute is riding one of the beasts. Now, if you remember, there are two beasts that, that came up in the book of Revelation. One rose up from the sea and one from the earth. Both of them were summoned by the dragon, who we know as Satan. First beast that came out of the sea represents the government and political powers that point to themselves. They want you to look at the government. They want you to look at politics and, and the political leaders and and find hope in them, and try to come into the promises, the empty promises that they give. The second beast came from the earth, and that represents the religious institutions such as churches or any other type of religion that points you to the government, that points you to the first beast. Both of them are waging war on Christians. Right? They don't have to wage war on people who aren't following Christ because they're already in it. They're, they're, they're already where the beast wants them to be. They're waging war on us as Christians. And what they're trying to do is get us to turn away from our hope and our trust in God and turn it to our hope and trust in our nation. A hope and trust in a person or an individual or a thing. And so both of these beasts were summoned to wage war on Christians so that we take our focus off of God and onto other things. Now, this beast that the prostitute's riding in this um, image fits the description from chapter 13, which is the beast that represents the governmental structures and political powers that seek for us to put our hope in them and not in Christ. And so look at uh, chapter 17, verse 5. It says, A mysterious name was written on her forehead, Babylon the Great, mother of all prostitutes and obscenities in the world, uh, and the NIV will say, and the abominations of the world. Um, some translations will use something to that sense. But it's written on her forehead. 
And so there's a lot of things that are written on people's forehead in the book of Revelation, isn't there? Right? The mark of the beast is written on the forehead and on the hand. And so do you remember what the forehead represents? It's ideology. And so it's a mindset. It's an ideology is what writes the mark of the beast on your head. And the hand, writing it on the hand, is the carrying out, the action of that ideology. And so with this, this is written on her head. And this is why we don't necessarily, not saying it's completely out of the game, but it's not necessarily, we don't necessarily have to worry about being microchipped or um, having something implanted in our hand or in our head. That this is, a, um, this is a mindset, this is something that we decide. We decide this ideology because we choose what side we're on. And so the image of the prostitute, as you'll see throughout this entire sermon, is that it's really, really good. It's a good image to use. Now, if you're not familiar with our series, um, you're probably thinking, okay, these Christians really think that there's a prostitute riding a beast that's just going to run rampant throughout earth and devour everything. Not necessarily. <laughs> we, we see this as an image of what is to happen, but we don't know how it's actually going to look. But we, it's to help us get in the fight. It's to help us know what's actually happening. But the image of the prostitute is so right because we know it's wrong to look. We know it's wrong to put our trust in the government. We know it's wrong to put our trust in other things besides Christ, but we can't help but look at her. She represents this city of man, uh, which is Babylon, and it's what man can build in rebellion against God. She's a human city who exalts themselves as divine instead of submitting to God. And all the kings of the world are drawn to her, which means all of the leaders and all the nations are drawn to her. What Revelation is trying to get you to do is to see the danger of just simply looking, simply paying attention. And I don't know if you notice, if you've read it and if you haven't, when you go through, she's not warning, or Book of Revelation isn't warning everyone in this instance. The, the angel and John and Christ in the book of Revelation are warning the Christians they're warning the churches about this prostitute. Because we don't have to warn the other people. They're already all sucked up in it. What he's saying, what the angel is saying is, John, you don't need to look at her. You need to look at Christ. And so there's a danger for us that we get sucked in and we start looking towards the prostitute thinking that we're looking at God. And this is where the danger of this spiritual war comes in. Because what the prostitute will offer is ease and comfort. Whereas we know that following Christ can be a very uncomfortable process. Right? And so John, who was the, the beloved disciple of Jesus, if he was distracted and he looked at her in amazement, why do we think that we can't? Why do we think that we're, we're absent from it? That, that you know, this, this prostitute's not going to affect me. It affected John, 
who walked with Jesus, who lived with Jesus, and who preached about Jesus after Jesus ascended into heaven. Right now, maybe you had a completely different experience than me, but I haven't seen a physical human Jesus. He has. He saw the miracles firsthand. He wrote one of the Gospels. Any of you write scripture? I don't think you have, right? And he looked at her in amazement. And this should tell us we're not absent from it. That this stuff is happening right here and right now, and there's a danger for us, and that's why we have to fight. And so the angel has to snap John out of it. Because this prostitute appears very, very beautiful. It would be something that we would want to look at. It's something that we often strive to look at even. Our, our fleshly desire pulls us towards her. And the angel has to snap John out of it in verse 7. He says, why are you amazed? What is so amazing about this person that God hasn't already offered you? angel says, let me show you who she really is. This is what any city that tries to seduce people away from God, this is what she is. She's promising you wealth and power and this living your best life, living in the moment, living your best life, living in comfort. See, what the prostitute will actually do is she'll say, I know life is hard, but if you just make a little bit more money, it'll be better. I know life is hard, but if you just give in to this temptation and you start exploring your sexuality, you're going to do great. Listen, I, I know that life is hard, but why are you so, so caught up in all these rules and regulations from Christ? Man, he really seems stuck up. Here, come over here. It's fun. Come over here. It, it's this is much more desirable. Don't you really want to go and, 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 and do these things? Don't you really want to go and just let that person have it? Right? Why, why would you be so quiet and kind and understanding and compassionate when you can just let the person have it? Right? Man, it, it'd be so... I, I know that you in, enjoy the, the taste of alcohol, but... It's so much more fun when you're drunk. It's so much more fun over here. Or, hey, I, I know that, that the Word of God says, wait until marriage, until you have a sexual relationship. But man, it's so much more fun over here. And so people get drawn in. And don't you see that in our world right now? people constantly looking away from God and looking to their own pleasures and desires, this is the work of the prostitute. Riding the beast. But it's all built on an illusion because she can never deliver. When you look at the Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uh, represents and, and says, this is what the kingdom of God is. And so uh, you have the example of blessed are the poor in spirit for man I I had it and then I lost it what they shall yeah okay so they they shall inherit right the prostitute contradicts all of the 
all of the points of the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. And instead of saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, she says, blessed are the rich and powerful. Right? You see that in our world? How much more of an elevation that we put on people who are rich, who, who have power and authority over those who are poor? That's what the prostitute does. And so there's, there's this constant contradiction between heaven and hell. Man, I had it in my notes, too. Um, that's embarrassing. I told you, it's going to be awkward. Right? So it's these two separate kingdoms constantly going back and forth, contradicting each other. And we're in either one or the other. And that's why Christianity will never be cool. True, authentic Christianity will never be cool in this world. It will never be acceptable in this world. Because we contradict everything that they believe. We, we contradict everything that the world is striving for because the prostitute contradicts everything of Christ. And so the angel is saying, be careful, don't let her seduce you because it's so much more easy and comfortable over here where you're nice, where everyone is nice to you, everyone's fine with you, you're not really causing any type of ruckus or anything. You're, everyone's fine with you. It's so much better over here. And she's so much better at seducing you than you think. I, I, I know, because I, I was in the place at one point where I was like, I'm never going to sin, right? I, I'm, I'm done with sin. I'm done with it. It's never going to happen again. You can't seduce me, anyone. Like, no one can seduce me into doing anything, right? I'd have friends in high school. They'd come up to me and they'd say, Hey, do you want to go to a party? Which they didn't do often because my dad was a cop. But I, like, I'd say, you want to go to this party? would be like, no, stranger danger. I gave the dare pledge. Like, I'm not going to do drugs, right? I was in that place. But I realize now that I am just as much able to be seduced by the prostitute than anyone else. And it's in this place that I, I understand the grace of God. That he knows that my flesh and my desires will always pull to her. Yet he's always in this place of, come on back. Don't, don't look at her. Come on back. Come on back. Holiness is a fight. It's a fight to be holy. I've been made righteous because of Christ. I was baptized in Mount Gilead when I was five years old, and I've been living my life for Christ since then. But holiness is a fight. Because even though I'm made righteous through Christ, I'm not drifting towards holiness. If I sit back and I, I watch the world happen, I will not drift towards holiness because I'm not bent towards that. My flesh will always pull me closer to her and away from Christ. And so if you're not fighting for holiness in your own life, then you're watching yourself drift away from God thinking that you're okay. And that's a scary place to be in. That's a dangerous place to be in. She's better at seducing you than what you give her credit for. But it's important to know that in Babylon, it always ends in violence 
towards the people of God. Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Why do the nations conspire and the, and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. I want you to just see that imagery real quick because the kings that uh, uh, David is talking about in his psalm is they think that we're confined. They think that we're all, all caught up in this cult uh, of Christianity where we're not being set free. So they're trying to set us free. But their freedom is actually in captivity. Right? So each of us, we're trying to set each other free. They're trying to set us free from all of our rules and regulations is what, how they see it. We're trying to set them free from the destruction that's going to happen to them. They think we're trying to rob them of life. Even though we're, we're saying, no, 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 this is the way to life. Right? I, I don't know how much you keep up with the news, but if you've been watching the news any time recently, especially after Roe Ro v. Wade, I saw a lot of, I, I don't want your church to regulate what I do. I don't want the church to regulate what I think and what I believe. They think that we're in shackles, but it's because they know that we're free. They know that this is the way to life, but they just want to reject it because they'd rather have what the prostitute offers than have what God will always sustain. Calls them to something different. They no longer worship the beast, but they worship God, and so they reject it. This war is a war of seduction over your soul to focus on temporary, unfulfilling things. And the angel exposes who she actually is, and her fate. Revelation 17, 16. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring to her ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Skipping down to 18, 2. With a mighty voice he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling for demons, and they haunt, and they haunt for every impure spirit a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable animal. For all the nations have drunk with the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Now I want you to look at who destroys her. It's not God. It's the beast. And so what happens is when you give in to and you're seduced by the prostitute, by all of the temptations and the sin that, you're, that the world is offering you, the world will turn in on you and destroy you. Because this is what happens. The prostitute offers all these things, brings all these people to the beast, and then the beast devours her in front of them. And this is significant because whatever the prostitute offers will eventually turn on you and kill you. It will destroy you. Now, I know that you're not stupid. Well, most of you, but I know that you're not stupid. And Satan is better at seducing you. He's better than just simply giving us this demonic thing inside of us that we want to go and do something bad. Right? We're not going to wake up one day 
as Christians and say, you know what? I think I'm going to ruin that person's marriage. Or, you know what? I, I think I'm just going to kill that person. No reason. Just, I'm just going to do it. Right? Uh, I, you don't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to try every single illegal drug that's out there and ruin my life with addiction and pain. But how many people get to that place? Matt Chandler, in his series, he said it's like a game of bait and switch. It offers you pleasure and comfort and peace, and all these great things. But when you take the bait, it turns and destroys you. It offers you all of these promises about how your life will be so much better if you just take what the prostitute is offering you, and then when you take it, it destroys you. What you see is John realizing throughout these chapters, seeing how bad she really is. What started with amazement turned into dirty filth that, that he cannot even bear to watch. book of Revelation is trying to save you from finding this out on your own. It's trying to save you and say, listen, if you give in to your temptation, you will be destroyed. It will destroy you inside. And so it's this constant revelation saying, just don't look at her. Don't let her seduce you. Don't do that. Just keep looking to God. When she is destroyed, in chapter 18, there's a, a threefold woe over the fall of Babylon. To mirror that, in chapter 19, starts with a threefold hallelujah of why Babylon, or that Babylon has fallen. And it gives you two perspectives. Chapter 18 is about what the world sees. Chapter 19 is about what us Christians see. And we won't get to chapter 19 this week because we simply don't have the time. Uh, so next week, be prepared for a really long sermon as we go through four chapters. But um, anyways, the kings and the people in chapter 18 are crying out when she falls and when she's burned. When they see her fate of her being destroyed and the beast coming in and destroying her, they're crying out. But they're not crying that she's burning up. They're crying because they're losing their life of luxury and comfort. See, because there's no real love for the prostitute. It was the love of what she offered. And maybe now you can see how great of an image this actually is. Someone who offers you something beyond your wildest fantasies, but doesn't deliver is destroyed, and you didn't care about her at all. You only cared about what she offered, which is the opposite of the kingdom of God, because we truly love God. There is a true love in that, that despite, you know, even if we are never blessed with anything, God blesses us because he loves us, but if we are never blessed with anything and we are true followers of Christ, it wouldn't matter, because he's already come for the forgiveness of my sins, He's already freed, free, freed me from all this destruction, and that's good enough for me. So I don't need all these other blessings because I already have the greatest blessing of life, and life abundantly. And so I love God for that. 
And so living in Babylon will lead to your destruction, and it may seem good, but you will always want more, and it will always destroy you. And so we, we strive to, to go into the kingdom and into the city of New Jerusalem, which is where the people of God will reside. But not the old Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, because the old Jerusalem went straight to the prostitute. Just look at the, at the trial of Jesus when people, God's people were shouting, crucify him. Right? You don't think that the whole nation was seduced by this prostitute? To where they all turned their eyes away from God and onto her and you think that you're okay? Right? We're all in this fight for holiness. And then this is how you fight. This is how it is to be in the new Jerusalem. We're going to reject the violence of Babylon and we're going to be marked by peace. So while everyone else is hating each other, canceling each other, rioting, killing, destroying reputations, and we're going to be peaceful. Like, it, it shouldn't be that hard, and I think we're getting closer and closer as the years go on to where we walk through Walmart and we see someone that we don't know and we'll know that they're a Christian simply by their peace because they're not walking around getting mad about all of all the things that are happening and how high all the prices are and they're, that we're just walking in peace to where you see someone, you're like, you go to church, don't you? Like, yeah, I knew it, right? We're going to be marked by radical generosity and reject the consumption of Babylon. Now, what I'm not saying is that you can't have nice things. You can have nice things. You can have the new car. You can have the bigger house. I'm not saying any of that is wrong. But the consumption of Babylon is always pursuing these things for your happiness and for your joy. And so when you're in a constant state of, I have to have the 2023 car, I have to have the 2024 car whenever it comes out, or you know, I have to have the newest tech, I have to have this, and this is what's going to make me happy, when you're constantly pursuing this, we're going to reject that and say, you know what, my car's fine, it's still driving, it's still getting me from A to B, and instead of... But, or instead of using the money that I would normally use to upgrade my vehicle every year, I'm going to use that towards the kingdom of God and fund ministries that are punching Satan in the face. That are, are letting Satan know that you're not in control, you're not going to overcome, that Christ has a victory, and this is just how it is. Right? Instead of using our money for things that give, us, give ourselves pleasure, we decide to use our money towards funding ministries that expand the kingdom of God. We're going to reject the sexual ethic of Babylon and embrace the design of God. Which means that if you struggle with sexual immorality, if you struggle with same-sex attraction, if you struggle with sex outside of marriage, know that we will be here for you and we will fight for you. And we will love on you but also know that we will happily and always embrace that sex is a gift from God and it's only to be used and, and to be given in a marriage covenant between a man and a woman. But we will also not be mean or rude about it. So for, I, I don't know who, I just have a feeling that someone in here, maybe it's me, right? But someone in here, feels like you can't be kind without empowering someone else's behavior. 
So, uh, and, and maybe it's online, right? I don't know. But you can be kind and not be complicit. You can be kind and loving without justifying their behavior as right. And so, you need to be kind about it. You don't need to walk up to someone and completely condemn them or give them a lecture. Be kind. You can be loving. But they also know where you stand and what the Bible says. Which leads me into the last point. We will reject the hate of Babylon and be marked by radical hospitality. Hospitality isn't easy for everyone. Just know that. Some people, they're just not people people. They, they, they would rather just spend time with themselves than with other people, and so they naturally aren't hospitable. Some of you are extroverts, and you'll invite anyone over to your house. Some of you are people people, and you like for people to be at your place where you can invite people and always be with people. Right? I'm not one of those people. Right? I, I'm one of those, I would much rather just stay by myself. I love people, and it's not that, it's just uh, I'm naturally inclined to want to be, my, be by myself. Right? I'm an introvert. It's the introvert-extrovert thing. But even the most... Even the greatest extroverts struggle with setting a table for their enemy in their home. This is what radical hospitality is. Babylon will tell you, just continue to hate the person. They don't like you anyways. Why would you invite them into your home? Right? Invite your friends. Invite your family. Don't invite them. They're going to go and steal something. They're going to go and they're going to uh, be mean to you and you're going to hate yourself after. So just... Don't even invite them. Don't even acknowledge them. When you see them in Walmart, just walk past them. But we will be marked as Christians with radical hospitality to where when we see them in Walmart, we forget about all that they've done to us in the past and we say, hey, how's it going? We acknowledge them. But we go a step further. We don't just do a little smile and wave and then turn around to your spouse and say, oh, I don't like that guy at all. Instead, we say hey, I haven't seen you in a while. How about you come over and we can share a meal together and we can laugh and we can talk and we can cry together. Right? That's so much more different than just a, a wave. Oh, yeah, hey. Right? Our radical hospitality is saying, let me, let me bring you into our home. I'm not going to lecture you. Right? We already know that what they're doing is wrong. Yeah, if they're living in the world, but saying, you know what? I'm just going to get to know you. That instead of bringing them in and sitting them down at the table and saying, hey, listen, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, and I don't really like what you did with me uh, all that time ago, and I don't like how this situation played out. Instead of all that, they sit down and you say, how have you been? Man, life is hard, isn't it? What are you struggling with? How can I help you? This is what New Jerusalem will be marked by. So listen, it will be hard. It's a fight. It's a battle. 
but God will never call you to do something that he, has, that he isn't willing to empower you to carry out. God will never call you to something that he's not willing to empower you to go and do it. And if you've been falling away or you've never followed God in your life, for the first time in your life, you're realizing by the grace of God that this prostitute, this, these temptations, this sin that you're experiencing in your life, realizing how awful it truly is. You want to accept Christ as your Savior today, make that decision today. I would invite you to come up and do that. But maybe you've also, you've been feeling like you've been following God and you realize right now that you're not, in, you're not on His side. You've been sitting back and watching things happen, watching ministry happen, maybe even giving a, a few just like little chump change to ministries and, and checking off your list of, I went to church, I, I gave my tithe, I gave some offerings, I did this one thing, and you check off all those boxes and right now in this moment you realize, I'm not standing in the kingdom of God at all. I'm not in New Jerusalem, I'm in Babylon. And you want to rededicate your life and you want to step back into the kingdom of God. I'll invite you to come and do that too. Or maybe you are in New Jerusalem and you're, you're, you're feeling those temptations. You're feeling the seducing of the prostitute. You're like, it's so hard to not look and be amazed at what she's offering. I would encourage you, keep fighting for holiness and come up to the front Make a decision today and say, God, listen, it's hard for me to not look at her, but Lord, empower me to not, to keep my eyes on you and to not fall into the seductive traps and destruction of what the world is offering right now. Would you make those decisions today? Would you have that conversation with God today? Would you pray with me? Father, maybe someone in here is hurting Maybe they're falling away or maybe they've never known you. Would you in this moment show them the true nature of the prostitute on the beast who's been seducing them away from you? Lord, as they, as they see you move, Lord, will you just move in such a way in their heart they turn away from her and they look to you. Lord, let them see your goodness and your mercy and your love for them. And Lord, for your faithful followers in the room and online, empower us not become distracted, distracted by the illusion of beauty that the prostitute has. Let us not be distracted by what she offers, but empower us, empower them to keep their eyes on you. Empower them to live their life marked by peace, by generosity, by true love, and hospitality. For it's in Jesus' name.